You know what I want to talk to you about this morning is the Millennial Kingdom. And I'm going to have you turn with you to Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. You can stay in your seat right now. Revelation 20, 1 through 10, the word of our Lord. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till a thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now when a thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are on the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God of, from uh, God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Holy Father, open up our hearts, Lord God, to the word this wonderful revelation of Jesus, and I pray, Lord God, that your spirit would guide us into the depths, because, Lord God, this is one of the, I think, most exciting and one of the most inspirational and hope-filled messages, Lord God, that come to us from the Word. Father God, be with us all today, in Jesus' name, amen. How many thousands do we have? A thousand years. Six. It's mentioned six times. The Greek word is chilio. Okay, if I say it, Chilio, if I'm saying it right, it almost sounds like Chilio, right? It's Chilio. And um, in uh, 382, 383, Jerome was, um, he was basically selected to translate the Greek uh, New Testament into Latin. And it was translated millennium. Okay, and that's what we call the 1,000-year millennium. But the right word would be the chilio. Now, as I've taken you through the scriptures, we have been talking about the rapture occurring at the beginning of the seven-year tribulation, then the second coming of the glorious appearing of Jesus occurring. And then, right, that's Revelation chapter 6 through Revelation chapter 19 and then what we have is the 1,000-year reign of Christ. You have the last judgment, the great white throne judgment, and eternity. Okay? That is, that is what I believe is, um, as I look at the scriptures, that I believe is what the scriptures teach, okay, is uh, essentially the picture and the uh, timeline of what will happen. Now, not every church believes that, okay? So I want to show, show you a few things. There is what is called amillennialism. 
when you put the letter A, okay, and this could be in Latin and it occurs in Greek, the first letter of the alphabet put in front of a word, what does it do? It essentially nullifies the word. So with amillennialism, um, the belief is, is that there's no millennium. Or it is spiritualized where essentially the belief is, is that we have been in the millennium since Jesus essentially poured out a spirit at Pentecost. So if we just look at what we just read, if we are in the millennium right now, Satan is bound. And as I get into some of the passages of, of the millennium, right, the cessation of war, um, longevity of life, right, obviously it's, it's, a, it's a very difficult view and you have to spiritualize you really have to spiritualize the Bible to come to the amillennial view. Second is, is what is called postmillennialism. Postmillennialism is the belief that the church will Christianize the world, everybody's going to get saved, and then you have a 1,000-year millennium where Jesus reigns. That was a very popular belief, okay, before World War I and World War II. When World War I and World War II happened, right, there was this period at the beginning, right, of the, of the 20th century where it really looked like there was going to be peace on earth. There weren't wars and everybody was looking forward, right, and saying, boy, things are really getting good. The, the gospel is spreading. We're going to Christianize the world. Everybody's going to be a Christian. And then you had World War I, World War II, okay? And that is really, again, I mean, some churches hold to that, but it's not a, a popular belief. And then we, we have a post-tribulation premillennialism. I talked about this last week. This is where simply the belief is, is that the second coming uh, occurs. I, essentially, we're in the tribulation. Second coming occurs, and then you have the millennial kingdom. So the rapture does not happen before the tribulation. Post, I, I went through that in detail uh, quite a bit the last uh, few weeks. So that, again, the pre-tribulation rapture, that um, essentially the rapture happens, the harpazo happens here, you have the seven-year tribulation, and then you have the 1,000-year reign of Christ, okay? And that's what I want to talk to you about, the 1,000-year reign of Christ. Let me give you, I'm going to give you a big word. It's called hermeneutics. So you're getting hermeneutics from me <laughs> every Sunday. What is, what is a, the hermeneutic? It's how we interpret the Bible, Okay? how we interpret the Bible. Remember Jesus would say to the Pharisees, how do you read it? Remember they were, they were off on some crazy, right, some crazy, you know, idea or some crazy interpretation. Jesus, that's what he was saying. How do you interpret it? And I, I want to give you the, the, I believe the biblical hermeneutic that Jesus used and the apostle used, okay, is essentially when the Bible... When the Bible is just simply making a statement that's clearly implied, we interpret it literally. When the Bible is, um, is speaking about something figuratively, okay, it could be a hyperbole, we interpret it metaphorically. So if it just amillennialism, it's all metaphor. Okay, when you take the pre-tribulation view, it is essentially, it is a literal interpretation, but it's also got some metaphor in it. That's the way Jesus interpreted the scriptures. That's the way the apostles interpreted the scriptures. So I want to give you an example of a metaphor. Song of Songs, okay? Song of Solomon. 
His wife is described in chapter 6 and 7. That's what she would have looked like. Her hair was like the flock of goats. Her teeth was like the flock of ewes, female lambs, female sheep. Her cheeks are like half a pomegranate. Her neck is like the ivory tower. And her nose is like the tower of Lebanon. Now, when I, when I read that, I think to myself, she needs to have the beauty treatment of Esther, right? Faith, how long was that? Like a year? I think that, well, Solomon's, he's saying how beautiful his wife is. Now, obviously, if you're reading that, it's a metaphor. It needs to be interpreted metaphorically. Now, you're going through and you're reading about Jesus, the prophecies about Jesus, okay? The virgin birth. It happened literally. His hands and feet would appear, Psalm 22, happened literally. They would cast lots for his garment, Psalm 22, fulfilled literally. He'd be raised from the dead, fulfilled literally. He'd be betrayed by 30 pieces of silver, right? Interpreted literally. One after, Jesus himself, three times that you have in the Gospels where he said, we're going up to Jerusalem and I'll be betrayed into the hand of sinners and uh, they will beat me, they will crucify me. They would kill me, and on the third day, I'll be raised uh, from the dead. Literal, right? A literal fulfillment. Jesus is also, in the scripture, called the Rose of Sharon. He's beautiful. He's sweet, smelling. But should it be interpreted literally or, again, metaphorically? I mean, he's not a literal rose. <laughs> the Lamb of God. Literally or metaphorically. Right? It's a metaphor. He's the bread of life. Literally, metaphorically. Metaphorically. He is the true vine. Right? Again, those are, those are all metaphors. So, again, when the scripture clearly implies, okay, the literal interpretation is taken. But when, again, it, it's speaking figuratively in similes, okay, in hyperboles, we interpret the scripture metaphorically. There are metaphors in the book of the Revelation, and I think there are many passages that need to be interpreted literally. Why am I saying this? Because it's important when we look at Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 10, because six times Jesus said 1,000 years. And there are some churches and some teachers that interpret that figuratively, that the 1,000 years is not a literal 1,000 years, but it's a course of time. I believe it's a literal 1,000 years where Jesus will reign on earth. Now, who inhabits the millennial kingdom? Who goes into the millennial kingdom? The 1,000-year reign of Jesus on earth. So I'm going to give you, there are four, four groups of people that enter in, the tribulation saints. Right? Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, we just read it. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Now, these are people judging. This is actually another group. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. 
Those are believers who during the tribulation will be martyred for their faith. They will be killed during the tribulation period. They, they are described in Revelation chapter 6, Revelation chapter 7. You can see it again in Revelation chapter 12. They refuse to receive the mark of the beast. They refuse to worship the Antichrist. They have been martyred. And their bodies have been raised from the dead. And they will have glorified bodies like Jesus during the tribulation period. Tribulation saints. Okay, number two. The believers who survive the tribulation come to the end of the tribulation. There are going to be believers who have survived it. Zechariah chapter 14, 16. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and keep the Feast of Tabernacles. These are, these are believers who have survived the tribulation. Right? They, they are, and they, they have gone through it. They didn't worship the Antichrist. They refused to take the mark of the beast. They survive and they go into the millennial kingdom with their earthly bodies. They have not been glorified. They have not been harpazled or raptured. They have, and they're going to repopulate okay, the millennial kingdom. Number three, the Old Testament saints. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 12 to 14. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. That's speaking about a resurrection. A resurrection of the Old Testament saints. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves. O my people, and brought you up from your graves, I will put my spirit in you and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land, then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. Moses, Samuel, David, right? En uh, en um, I'll say this, Enoch is already in, in heaven. Elijah is already in heaven. They've been raptured already. Okay, but Micah, Malachi, Deborah, all the Old Testament saints. Okay, the next, the resurrected and raptured church. We will be in the millennial kingdom. In 1 Thessalonians 4.17, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Notice the following, the following sentence. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. If Jesus is reigning on earth, where is we? We're going to be on earth reigning with Jesus. So, you have the resurrected and raptured, okay, church. You have the Old Testament saints. You have um, the tribulation saints. And you have those who have survived. First three groups all have resurrected bodies, raptured bodies. And then you have the tribulation saints, okay, who have survived. And they essentially have just human bodies. They are believers who have survived. And they will go in and then they will worship. Okay, and they will glorify, and they will be with Jesus during the 1,000-year millennial kingdom. That's who's going to inhabit. Now, I don't know about you. That excites me. I'm going to have a body like Jesus's, right? He's able to walk through walls. He was able to eat, right? He was able, and they, they were able to grab onto him and hold him. Mary was able to grab onto him and hold him. We're going to be able to hug each other and hold each other. We're not going to be spirits. We're not going to be phantoms. 
We will be there. Okay. The millennial kingdom. What will it be like? So I want to, I want the Holy Spirit escort us and give us a glimpse of the future. You know what's incredible about the Bible? It gives you a glimpse into the future. You know, right now you look at the world leaders, they don't know what the heck is going on. They don't know what's next to happen. Right? There's, there's, there's confusion. There's, there, there's chaos. The millennial kingdom I'm okay. If somebody comes rushing through that door to get me, I'm okay. <laughs> what will the millennial kingdom be like? Okay. Again, a, a glimpse into the future. If you, if you, you're going to find that much of it that's spoken about the millennial kingdom is in the Old Testament and in the prophets. Ezekiel, Isaiah, Zechariah. I think they, they, there is more revelation about the millennial kingdom amongst those essentially three prophets. And then again, there's a lot of other spotted revelations that you will find elsewhere. So I'm going to read to you from a few passages. I want to share some things. This is fun. This is I had a lot of fun doing this. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above his hills and all the nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Let's break it down. Okay? First thing here. The word of the Lord that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. The Bible predicts that during the millennial kingdom there is going to be a great millennial temple that is built in Jerusalem. It's going to be the greatest of all temples, greater than the tabernacle, greater than Solomon's temple, greater than Ezra's temple and the renovation that Herod did later on. There is a description of that temple, an architectural engineering description of that temple in the Bible. Who knows where it is? It's probably a passage that when you got to, you probably got bored with really quickly because only Lenny, our, our, our worship leader and engineer, would, would I mean, it's, it's a passage you have to dig through, but it is, it is Ezekiel chapter 40 through 48, it describes the architecture, the engineering, the dimensions of this great temple that's going to be built in Jerusalem that will be known as the Millennial Temple. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2 through 3, all the nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain, the Lord, uh, of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. 
So this is, again, these are all the survivors who went through the tribulation. This is the raptured, resurrected saints of the uh, church age, the Old Testament saints, and the tribulation saints. Let's go up to Jerusalem and let us worship the Lord. Look at Zechariah chapter 14, verse 15. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of the tabernacles. Resurrected and harpazoed believers and those who have human bodies like we have right now. The ones who have survived, again, the tribulation. You know the, the, the parable of the sheep and the goats? That occurs at the end. That, that is a, a parable that describes the end of the tribulation when Jesus will stand and he will separate the unbelievers from the believers. There's going to be a great separation. And I want you, to, I want you just to look, Matthew chapter 25, 44 through 46. Then they also will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you didn't do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment. Those are the goats. But the righteous into everlasting life. And again, these who have survived through the tribulation, let's go up. Let's, maybe they'll be your neighbor. And there you are with your glorified body in your glorified house. Let's go up to Jerusalem and worship the Lord. How cool is that, right? Okay, verse 3. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. And out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Hey, let's go up to Jerusalem. Let's go to the temple. And let's sit at Jesus' feet and hear Jesus teaching us his word. Just, just, just as he did, right, when he was raised from the dead and he's ministering, right? He's ministering to believers. He's ministering to the apostles and disciples. How cool is that? Isaiah 2.4. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. Jesus, as the sole justice of the international Supreme Court, will render binding verdicts upon the nations and the peoples of all the earth. Now you may be sitting there and going, well, you mean there's going to be some disputes. Those who come in to the millennial kingdom from the tribulation, right, Satan is bound. The world system has come to an end. That was the influence of Satan. Right? You're going to have no more negative influences coming at you through your iPhone or through your television or through the Super Bowl commercials that are going to be on tonight and all the other crap that they throw at us day and night. Satan is bound. His system has come to an end. But we still, those who go into the go into the millennial kingdom from the tribulation, they still have sinful natures. So it won't be anything near what it is today because Satan is bound. The world system is ended. But people, there will still be disputes 
There may be still disputes between the nations. There may still be disputes between neighbors or, or, or family members. And he shall judge. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. Who else judges during the millennial kingdom? You're jumping ahead. It tells us that the apostles, the 12 apostles, will judge during the millennial kingdom. 12. Are there 12 there? Yeah, I got 12. I actually had to join two pictures to do that. And I thought, did I miss one? Matthew chapter 19, 28. So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, that in the regeneration, okay, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. I believe the regeneration is talking about the millennial kingdom. But the apostles will judge. Now, who else judges? That's what it says. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 and 3. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? You know those, those it's talking about fallen angels, principalities, powers, right, rulers, that have kind of played havoc with your lives. You're going to have a chance to judge them. How much more things that pertain to this life? So Jesus will be judging, the apostles will be judging, and the saints will be judging. The next, the end of war. Isaiah 2.4, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Some of you here, you experienced World War II. In my lifetime, right, it's World War II. I didn't experience Korea. I was born a little later. Then it was Vietnam. Then it was Grenada. I don't know if you, some of you remember Grenada. was a short war. Iraq. And you had 9-11 and the war, right, that went on with Afghanistan. You see the Ukraine. We see right now a Middle Eastern war, a war in Israel going on. There are right now 42 wars going on in the world. 42 wars. How does it, doesn't it sound great, an end of war? Aren't you sick of war? Aren't you sick about hearing about it? But it's just, it, like, it, it, it's the end. I'm, I'm sick of hearing about it. I'm sick of seeing it. He comes and he establishes his kingdom. It's the end of war. Everyone will bow to the king. I picked this one out. This comes from Isaiah chapter 45, verse 23. And again, it's repeated in Philippians chapter 2. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that to me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall take an oath. Every knee shall bow to the king of kings. Everyone shall bow to the king. I believe in all eternity, everyone's going to bow to the king. Everyone. I think Hitler's going to bow to the king. I think Herod's going to bow to the king. I think Pilate's going to bow to the king. Mussolini's going to bow to the king. Mao Zedong is going to bow to the king. Genghis Khan is going to bow to the king. Napoleon's going to bow to the king. I don't know, I don't know if, this, if this bothers you. 
I love God and I love Jesus more than I love people. Far more. I know we're supposed to love the Lord your God and love your neighbors yourself, but there's a, in my life, I don't know if this is true of you, but there's this huge gap between my, my love for God and my love for people. So when I, when I see people rebelling against Jesus, rejecting Jesus, people in their, their, their stubborn, stubborn resistance, their blasphemy of Jesus, it, it really infuriates me. It, it just infuriates me. And people, oh, we're supposed to love them. We're supposed, we know we're supposed, but pastor, we're supposed, oh, you're supposed to love them. Pray for me on that. I love Jesus so far more than people. He's my king. He's my creator. Jesus is my savior. He is my sustainer, and he's sustaining me right now, the very beating of my heart. He died for me on the cross and bled for me six hours that Friday. He called me. He chose me. He saved me. He's my king. He's my God. He's my Lord. And I rejoice when I think of every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Even those who have rejected him, even those who are going to hell or in hell or in the lake of fire, every knee will bow because he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that blesses the heck out of me. Next. Nature will be restored to what it was in the garden. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6 through 8. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the youngest goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. The young one shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole and a wean child shall put his hand in the viper's den. He will totally, again, alter nature and bring it back to the way it was in the garden. Now hang out with animals. Some of you like animals? Some of you like animals more than people, right? I know. But some of your dogs and cats, maybe that's easy, you know? Next, global prosperity. Isaiah chapter 35, 1 and 2. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. It's talking here about an agricultural prosperity that will bless the entire world. If you think, you think of this, man has attempted to create prosperity through the ages, right? A global prosperity, a prosperity for all people, and it's failed, and it's failed, failed terribly. So you look, at, you look at socialism, you look at communism, capitalism, 
they all have failed. They have all failed to create a, you know, a prosperity of, uh, for people. Right now, right now, you take New York City. New York City is the, is the wealthiest city in the world. It is the most prosperous city in the world. It is the center of global commerce. And yet there are 1.5 million people in New York City today who are hungry, who don't have enough food. So you got people living in their towers, right, worth billions of dollars, millions of dollars, and yet down below you have people who are hungry. That's, and by the way, New York City is a perfect example of really socialism and, and capitalism. Because you see those, those are the two things. And it's amazing how the capitalists will just prey on people utilizing socialism. It's really, but it, what will happen is, in the millennial kingdom, there will no longer be haves and have-nots. Because everyone will have. Every human being will have. You know, people ask me, well, Pastor, you, you know, you sound like a Republican. I'll, I'll tell you, I voted Republican far more than I voted. In fact, right now, I would not vote for a Democrat. I would not vote Democrat ever. And, uh, but I did in the past. Maybe if one comes up who I truly believe is, is a godly man. But also, the Republicans, half the Republicans are just liars. They, they, don't, they don't really truly practice or believe what they say. So um, I think there, though, are right now I, I vote Republican more because I think it's the lesser of the two evils. That's kind of where I am. But I am I am not a Republican. I am not a uh, Democrat. I am uh, I call myself a monarchist. Some people say, "Well, you're a monarchist. What are you looking to overthrow the government?" No, I'm a monarchist. When Jesus comes, he's going to set up his monarchy. It's the monarchy of the King. That's where I'm because this, this whole thing is going to hell. I don't tell you that. Daniel, Daniel chapter 2, the, you know, the, the empires of the world will be crushed by this great rock that comes down from heaven. Who's the rock? He crushes the empires and he establishes his kingdom. And he will establish a kingdom again where there are no longer haves and have-nots because everyone will have. Next. The restoration of the lifespan that was occurring in the time of Adam to Noah. So it says, no more shall an infant, infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die 100 years old, but the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. And then notice verse 22. And as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. There are trees that are over a thousand years old. And apparently there are going to be people who are not going to die through the millennial kingdom. And then what's going to have to happen is they're going to have to be harpazoed at the end to go into the eternal kingdom. But people are going to be living, I mean, people are going to be living long, they're going to be living healthy, they're going to be living strong. Next. There'll be building going on. Do you know that God loves Architecture? Have you noticed that he loves, I mean, God loves architecture. He's very detailed in the instruction of the building of the tabernacle, the temple, the millennial temple. And Isaiah chapter 65, verse 21 through 22, they shall build houses and inhabit them. They'll be building houses. 
They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. By the way, I, I, took, I took that picture. One of my prayers is, Lord, in the millennial kingdom, just a little place up on the northern end of the Sea of Galilee, just, just a, a little further west of Capernaum, you know, like just a little place like that, I can invite people up and entertain. And you know, it, it's got a beautiful view of the Sea of Galilee. I could just sit there reading, you know, reading the scrolls, hang out there. Next. And my elect shall enjoy the work of their hands. Yeah, you're going to work. I know to a lot of people, work is a curse. You know what tomorrow is? It's Monday! And they wanted to make the day after the Super Bowl a national holiday because people are so drunk and stuffed with food they can't get up in the morning. And then it's Wednesday. What do they call Wednesday? It's hump day. Get over to now. I see that commercial with that with that camel punch the camel. And then TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. Work is a blessing of God, not a curse. Look, I feel sorry for those of you who hate your jobs. I feel sorry for those of you who hate your careers. I really do feel sorry because i got to tell you something. I have loved what I am doing, for the most part, through most of my life. I have loved and it was different things that God has had me doing. Not just being a pastor, but I have loved, I have loved what God is doing. Sue and I talk about you know, retirement. If I retire from this, I'm going to do something else. Because if we just went and bought a house somewhere on a beach, I'm going to die. I'll be dead real fast. I'll just, I'll just tell you that. I just, you know, I, I find work renewing. I find work exciting. I look forward, I look forward to working. So there'll be work in the millennial kingdom. And you will enjoy it. We all will enjoy it. And we will love the work that we're doing. Next. Nor bring forth children for trouble. For they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. Jesus loves children. Jesus loves children. And there's going to be lots of children in the millennial kingdom. It's, it's going to be a, you know, a, a perfect environment where there is going to be health and longevity and there's going to be lots of lovemaking between husbands and wives. Do you know that that's okay? You know you're to enjoy it in God's context. Sex is a gift from God and it wasn't just meant for procreation, it was meant for enjoyment. And it's good for you. It's good for your mind. It's good for your body at any age. And listen, if you're older, check with your doctor before you go and start. <laughs> that wasn't planned. That was spontaneous. 
there will be no miscarriages. There will be no stillborns. There will be no abortion. And I want to say, ladies, I don't think there's going to be any pain in childbearing because the curse has been removed. And you will have a baby with a smile. You will just go, mm, and it'll be out. Oh! Men, right? That's a blessing to us too because have you gone through that? Tell you the story of Sue and I. First baby, Rachel, who was just doing announcement singing here. And we went through Mataz? Lamaz. <laughs> Do they still have Lamaz? It's a cult. It's a cult. I'm saying that, kidding. So we go through the classes, and they show you the father, right, how to comfort the mother. And, you know, you teach them how to count, right? You go, ready? One, two, three, four, breathe. <gasps> One, two, three, four, breathe. <gasps> One, two, three, <gasps> breathe, right? We get in there. I'm going, One, two, three, four, breathe. <gasps> One, two, three. And Sue looks at me and goes, Stop it! <laughs> Just waste 600 bucks down the drain. <laughs> Stop it! Stop it! <laughs> I want to tell you how funny this is. My, my wife gives birth, and um, the next day, um, oh, it's actually that day, New Year's Day, uh, we get invited. They, um, the, the pastor invites me to the house to eat the Sunday afternoon. I go to visit Sue in the morning. I went to church, visited Sue. Then the next morning, uh, I'm on the way back from eating this dinner, and she, they made, they made these great meatballs and sauce. It was like an Italian feast. And then they had um, this sparkling grape juice. And I drank too much. I mean, like I, drank like, like I drank like three quarters of a bottle of sparkling grape juice. And you know what that does with you? It's like the perfect laxative. So I'm driving home from Lodi. I was going to go up to see Sue again. I said, no, I got to go home first. Because on the way home, my stomach is gurgling, and I'll tell you, I'm worried I'm going to poop in my pants. So guess what I started doing? Lamaz. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three. I did, I did. I was, I was doing it when I was driving. One, two, three. I made it. Ran up the stairs. There are going to be, don't you love kids? See, those of you who, who go upstairs and you work with the kids, you work with the kids in the nursery, you're blessed. Love being with the kids and just seeing them. I love seeing them running around the church. I love seeing them playing in the rock center. And people say, oh no, the kids, we, we tell them to be quiet. No. No, because you know what? You do that with them when they're little, they'll never come back again. It's so turned off in the church. Lots of kids. Verse 9 of Isaiah chapter 11. They shall not hurt nor destroy in my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord and the waters, as the waters cover the sea. The entire earth is going to be filled with the word of God. With the knowledge of the Lord. That's just, to me, that's just good news, right? Because again, what is the world full of right now? Oh, man. 
just talk to people. Talk to some people. I mean, true, people who are just non-believers, unbelievers, you talk to them and what their head is filled with? You want to just, what has the devil done to you? And the entire world will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. Now, almost done. I have to give you a little bad news. I gave you a lot of honey this morning. But the millennial is, uh, it's filled with honey. It's sweet. But now, just for a moment, a little vinegar. You know where it's going, right? You know the passage? Satan is released momentarily. I wanted to pick the right word because when I read Revelation chapter 27 through 10, Satan is released, it's momentarily. It's momentary. He gets his nasty, sinful, poisonous claws of deception, of rebellion against Jesus into the hearts of a large number of people. Now, these are the descendants of the believers who came in. Not all of them, but many of the children of the descendants who survived the tribulation, there is a great deception. Let me look at it here. Now, when a thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out and deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for to battle, whose number is as the sands of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and of the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Now, why does God allow Satan to be released during the millennial kingdom? That is a, that is a question that I have been asked many times. Why does God allow Satan to be released? I believe it is to give them a choice, as he has done right from Adam and Eve in the garden, a choice. He gives them a choice. Again, the influence with Satan out of the way and his world dominion out of the way, they really haven't been given that choice to choose between Jesus and Satan. And Jesus gives them that choice. Choose me or choose the devil. Choose good or choose evil. Choose to submit to me as your Lord and your King or choose to rebel by following Satan. And there are a number of people who choose Satan. Those who have chosen Jesus, they go into eternity. Those who have chosen Satan... They go with all those who have rejected the grace of God through the ages to the great white throne judgment. That's right there in Revelation chapter 20. And the rest of us, we go into the millennial kingdom, we who have been in the millennial kingdom, we are ushered into the eternal kingdom. Let me say, it gets better. <laughs> Revelation 20 
right, is great. But Revelation 21 and 22 is incredible. And that's where we'll be with the Lord forever and ever. I think you, you, you see this, obviously coming to this church. You hear a preacher truly preaching the word of God. If you're reading the Bible. We are given a choice to choose. Right? Choose this day who you will serve. Just as they are there. Just as the Old Testament people were. The people even before right, the days of Noah. Just as Adam and Eve were. And people throughout the church age and tribulation age. You choose between Satan and Jesus. You choose to either follow Jesus or follow Satan. You choose either repentance or rebellion. And you determine your destiny. You determine your destiny of where you're going to spend eternity. That's the message. Rebel or repent. Repent of your sins, turn to Jesus and be saved. You say, well, I don't follow Satan. I'm not following Satan. Satan is all about lawlessness. Satan is all about rebellion. If you're in rebellion against God, if you have rejected his son, his salvation, you're following him. And you have to make that decision. And that is the decision of all. You know, your decisions determine, right? Your decisions have determined where you are today. To the great extent, the decisions you've made, they're affecting your experience in life right now, your health, your, your income, your relationships. Well, your decision and the decision of all decisions is the decision between Jesus and Satan. And that's only a decision you can make and nobody can make for you. You're a young child, you have to make that decision. Mommy and daddy can't make it for you. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord God, for the blessed hope that we have in the rapture of the Harpazo as we have gone through these last weeks. And we thank you, Lord God, for the blessed hope, Lord God, of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And Lord God, being a part of the millennial kingdom. And Lord God, being there to serve with you, to be your minister, to worship you, to glorify you. And Lord, we look forward. We look forward. Imprint, Lord Jesus, these truths upon our heart. Let us, Lord God, be filled with hope each and every day as we walk with you. And I do pray today, Lord God, for those who are in the valley of decision today, I pray, Lord God, that they would make the right choice. For that choice is a choice that will have the greatest, Lord God, effect upon them not only in this life, but throughout eternity. Choose Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Amen.